Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message. Well, hello, my name is Emily Snyder. Welcome to church. We're so glad you're here, whether you're here in the building or you're joining us on the live stream. Happy Sunday. Oh gosh, I did it Sunday to you. And uh, I'm so glad you're here with us. We are picking back up in our sermon series, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I wanna give a brief update though. Last time I spoke, I mentioned that I lost my diaper bag. And just in case this is keeping anybody up at night, I did get a new one, which I proceeded to lose again last night. So I have learned my lesson, and I'm going to go back and get it today. I'm going to do it. Aww. It was a more expensive one. I have to go back. My goodness. All right, so we, if you're following along with us in the book, we're gonna be going through chapter five today. Enlarging your soul through grief and loss. Riveting stuff, very exciting for a Sunday morning. Uh, but here's the thing, part of the experience of being human is losing things and not just a diaper bag, right? Losing things that like, really matter and losing things in such a way that the very loss itself like changes us who we are as a person. You know what I mean? So that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be talking about the counterintuitiveness of turning toward that loss instead of trying to numb it away or distract ourselves from it. And we're going to talk about the gift Uh, of transformation that can take place if we allow it to come. So there's a brief outline. Uh, I think one of the reasons I scored so low as an emotional adolescent on the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Self-Assessment I am learning is because when I, I think back to like things that I've lost in my life, grief that I've gone through, And I've always just thought, okay, the loss happened. Now, how am I going to feel better? Yeah, I hear a yup. I think that's very natural to do. Um, Just like that song this morning, I want to go straight from the grave to the garden. I don't want to walk the path between the two. I want to go straight from winter to springtime. I don't want to live the months in between. Those were good songs. I didn't even choose those. So, But here's the thing. The space between the loss and the coming outside on the, other, uh, on the other side of the loss, that's where the deep transformative power of God is found. And that's where the gift is. That negative space, those threshold moments in your life that you would just kind of like to My son plays a lot of Nintendo. Just hop over, right? Uh, We need to just press in further to those places. So I want to start with asking you a question. Get your brains turned on. 
If I were in kids' church, I'd make you pretend to turn on your brain, okay? And I don't want you to even look back on like your entire life because that's a lot to take in. Some of you more than others. Oh, just kidding. (laughs) But think about just in the last 18 months, okay? Since COVID started, since the C word came around. Um, What are some things that you have lost? And just start kind of thinking. Some some of you have things that pop up to your mind immediately, like, yeah, that that was a thing. Um, for me, I had a few things that came to mind pretty immediately. I'm going to share them with you. Number one, uh, we were supposed to build a house last year. And then COVID hit. And if anybody tried to purchase wood back, you know, last year, you know, um, well, that wasn't going to happen. We had to push pause on that dream with no inkling of when we get to press play again. That was a loss for us. It, it stung. It still kind of stings a little bit. Uh, also, I had a baby last year. He's almost one, you all. Back in 2020, I had a baby. Uh, and basically, one of the results of that was I quit my job in February of this year, my beloved job at your local public library. I had been there for eight years, which is the longest I've ever held a job. And I loved it. Like I loved the people. I loved the community. I loved what I did. I just loved every single thing of it. And I quit. And I feel good about that decision, but the coming to that decision and like the loss that surrounded it, it it was not without some emotion, put it that way. Uh, this is a hard one too. So I mentioned I have a baby. His name is Callum. He exists. Sometimes, you know, after not seeing people for a year, it's like, oh, you had a baby. Um, but every single milestone we get to with him seems like at once an achievement and a loss because I know that our family is complete, like we're done having children. And so, you know, he started walking this week. He started walking this week. And I was like, oh, amazing. And then I was also like, oh, these are like the last first steps. Like that, I'm going to cry just thinking about it. It's really hard. So those are some of my losses. If you're sitting out there and you're like, nope, not me. Never have I ever experienced loss. Let me jog your memory, okay? There's some examples in the book. Here we go. One, none of us are getting any younger. That's true. Uh, Loss of our youth. We all have dreams that have not come to fruition. Like, who wanted to be a marine biologist when they were a kid? Everybody. Are any of you a marine biologist? No. <laughs> Somebody, yeah, that's fine. Okay. Not in central Kentucky. You could be a, nah, I'm not going to talk about the lake. Okay. Uh, some of us, when we go through transitions, like moving or changing a job, uh, we, we lose those routines. We lose some stability there. That loss of stability is a huge loss. Even if it's temporary, it's hard to live through that. Sometimes we experience like catastrophic loss, right? Um, That's where my mind goes to when I first think about loss and grieving. I'm like, somebody has died. Um, 
you lose a job, you lose, you know, all your money, you go bankrupt, a catastrophic loss. Some of us are still living with loss and probably always will based on how we were raised. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pete Scazzaro in the book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, (laughs) uh, says, you know, some of you lose a leg in that war of growing up and you just walk with a limp throughout your entire life. And you're always reminded of that loss. Sometimes we lose our, this is a kind of a good thing, but we lose our wrong ideas about God. But in losing them, we have to come to terms with the ways that we have participated in uh, falsehoods or uh, false systems within the church. Loss marks the place where self knowledge, like we've been talking about, know yourself, and powerful transformation happens if we have the courage to fully participate in the process and not want to skip from winter to spring, from grave to garden. So a step in the direction toward emotional and spiritual maturity involves not just acknowledging our losses, but fully engaging with them. So that's what we're gonna talk about this morning, fully engaging with them. And the first thing we kind of need to come to terms with are our limits. I was afraid when I said limits that somebody would hear lemons. Limits. Uh, If we want to apply, okay, those limits to the examples that I gave, okay, uh, we couldn't build our house because we are financially limited, okay? Uh, I quit my job because of the limits of having three small children at home, the limits of my family. Uh, I at once celebrate and am sad about the milestones my baby is hitting because I have lost the desire or like ability to want to go through that again. You know? There's phys- we have physical limitations as well. Here are some other examples from the book. Your family of origin, just like the way that you were raised, it limits us. And sometimes it's like not a bad thing, but it's just, it limits us. Our marital status or the number of children you have can limit you. Your intellectual capacity. You might be smart, but you're not smart about everything. Your talents and gifts. You may have two or three. You don't have them all. Neither do I. Again, your material wealth. Not all of us are rich. Even if you are rich, there's limits to that. I don't see Jeff Bezos sitting in this room today. So, Your raw material, just like your personality or who, what makes you who you are. Like you're, that is something that you are definitely limited by and working with. Uh, oh, this is a hard one for me. Your time. There's a limit to it. You, in fact, cannot do it all, Emily. You, in fact, cannot do it all. You're limited by your time. You're limited by your work and relationship realities. You ever, like, in your job think, wow, I've been working and working and working and still seems like nothing's getting done? Mm -hmm. Or I've been working and working and working on this relationship and it's still not, like, as good (laughs) as I would want it to be? We're limited by those things. 
Also your spiritual understanding. We can know God, but we're not gonna know everything about God. I think there's a really brilliant example of knowing limits uh, by reading the story of John the Baptist. So, okay, John's out there in the desert. He's eating bugs, wearing camel hair, uh, and he's gaining followers. He is doing what he's supposed to do. He's preparing the way for Jesus to come. He's making crooked paths straight. He's, you know, raising up the low places and bringing down the high places. He's baptizing people. And then Jesus comes on the scene. So let's pull up John 3, 26. Jesus comes on the scene and then John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. How dare he? And everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. And John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. It's the bridegroom who marries the bride and the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. And here's like the money verse, verse 30. He must become greater. I must become less and less. John understood his limits of not being the Messiah. And he also understood uh, who he was preparing the way for. So when Jesus came on the scene, he allowed it to be what it was. Like, this is what I have been working to do. That limit was a gift. Um, Along those same lines, how many of you often have larger dreams and like wishes for yourselves that your actual and reality life just can't support? I do. It's called Instagram. I'm kidding. I'm totally guilty of that. And it's not just for me. It's for my my family, my children as well. Uh, I'll give you an example. I, when my oldest child first started school, I had zero expectation that it was going to be a struggle. If any of you have met her, you know, she's real smart. And the fact that she is reluctant to learn at school has us very confused. Uh, full on like meltdown, tantrum things. I didn't anticipate this. That was not my dream for her. Uh, And I realized like I'm kind of feeling a loss because I'm bumping up against the limits of my child, but also of my parenting in that moment. These really small things like the everyday encounters with our own limits that sometimes, I don't know about you, but I'm tempted to just not even like pray about it or I'm tempted to think, I, you know, God doesn't care. God's busy, you know, whatever. He really does care. Uh, and maybe it's really just an opportunity for discipleship in our everyday life. Um, have you ever stepped on a Lego or a small toy? And right, it hurts and it's annoying, but like five minutes later, you're over it, okay? 
Uh, here's what I did this week, and maybe you can do this too. I made a list of little things, I'm not gonna share this list, of little things in my life right now that are like stepping on a mental Lego, okay? Uh, where I feel like I'm bumping up against my limits uh, and I'm getting real about what those limits are. It doesn't feel good, uh, but I'm just gonna take that list and start processing some of those things with the Lord. Uh, because each one of even those really small things are opportunities for discipleship to learn more of God's ways. So we're going to look at a famous biblical figure who had it all and lost it all. Who is it? Job. Job. Oh, well, David. Yeah, I could see that. Job, <laughs> though, is the answer <laughs> I was looking for. Um, I think if ever there were a book of the Bible that could really start teasing out everyone's like individually held approach and theology for grief and pain and loss, it's the book of Job. Uh, so we're gonna read about the kind of person that Job was. Can you go ahead and pull that up, please? We're looking just chapter one, verses one through five. Here we go. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. Mm-hmm. He was blameless a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 team of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. I guess he was rich. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that area. Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. And when these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, his kids sound like a real piece of work, by the way, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. That would be 10. For Job said to himself, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. And this was Job's regular practice. So Job wasn't just a rich man. What really stands out to me in this verse is that he was a man of complete integrity. Often uh, when people achieve extreme wealth, they leave their integrity way behind, correct? I wouldn't know. (laughs) That's just my assumption. (laughs) Um, He didn't do anything to deserve what happened to him though, right? But here's the thing. It still happened, And that's why I think it's said that um, the story of Job is the story of us all because just part of being human is experiencing loss. Okay, dealing with loss and grief, it differs from culture to culture. It differs all the way down to like your family of origin, how you were taught to interact with those things. I think in our culture in the US, the response is to numb it away, medicate, uh, maybe turn to an addiction, uh, or focus on extremes. So let's think about what, it hap- what people, how did ha- people handle the very first lockdown? March, 2020. How many of you started a new hobby? You know what I didn't uh, start doing as a new hobby? It's like deep, introspective work with God. 
We were down in the garage working on a rock tumbler. That's what we did. <laughs> um, the number of subscriptions to online video streaming services reached 1.1 billion in the year of 2020. Are we surprised? Nah. Uh, TikTok users grew in the age demographic of ages 15 to 25 by 180% in the first few months of lockdown. How many of you got real into the TikToks? Here's the thing. And I just think of, I'm in little kid world right now, so this is just like the way my brain works. When my baby is crying or upset, I give him a bottle. I find a pacifier. I hold him. I rock him. I put him to bed. Sometimes you just need a nap. I can't expect my baby to make himself feel better because that's developmentally inappropriate. As we grow, though, and transition into adulthood, we no longer need a pacifier. Correct? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we do sometimes still need a nap, but we're the ones putting our own selves to bed. We learn how to meet our physical needs. We no longer have caregiv caregivers who like, need to do that for us. Uh, and the same can be said for our emotional lives as well, except it's much more difficult because we really can't get by too awful long without eating or drinking or sleeping, but we can skate through life in emotional immaturity and still like be out in the world. We carry in us defense mechanisms put in place even in childhood to help us avoid pain. Things like denial. Oh, this very upsetting thing happened but it, it didn't happen, it's fine. Uh, minimizing, oh yes, this thing happened, but it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Blaming others, oh yes, this very upsetting thing happened because so-and-so, or the opposite, placing all the blame on yourself. Oh, this very upsetting thing happened because I am a terrible human. We rationalize. We offer excuses or justifications to provide inaccurate explanations for what's going on. We may intellectualize. Well, my situation isn't so bad compared to all the pain and suffering in the world, so really what do I have to be upset about? How many of, how many of you have actually said that? I have said that. We distract. I'm really good at changing the topic using humor. It's a distraction mechanism. Or some of us just become hostile. When the thing that happened, the pain is brought up, you say, I don't want to talk about it, shut up. Okay? And if we allow these defense mechanisms to lead, and they can, and we do. Distraction, numbing, addiction. We will become absolutely stunted in our spiritual growth and stuck at a childlike level. 
some scripture I've just had rolling around uh, in my head this past year, which Phoenix so beautifully read for us this morning. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Learning to grieve and experience loss God's way can allow us to have calm and quiet on the inside, to not have to be temporarily pacified through numbing or distraction or addictions or ignoring the hard things, to not engage in defense mechanisms because we are afraid of pain. The emotionally and spiritually mature person's response to loss isn't to turn outward to numb, deflect, and deny, but to actually turn toward that loss, which is definitely counterintuitive and does not feel good. Uh, in John 11, which I learned as a kid, you know, John eleven thirty five, the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus's friend dies, and what does Jesus do? Mm-hmm. Even though he knew that his friend wasn't going to stay dead, what did he do? He fully engaged in the pain of that moment. Ecclesiastes three. There's a time for what? Everything. a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. Not just the good things. There's a time for everything. So how do we start? That's always my question when I'm going through these things. I'm like, okay, here's all these things out in the ether, but like, how do I apply these things to my life? Number one, and the book goes through, I think there's like four steps to this. Number one is simply just pay attention. Pay attention. Uh, When we experience loss and grief, our knee-jerk reaction tends to be, I just have to be okay because if not, you know, anger's a sin. Mm -hmm. Or if I'm being fearful and scared right now, I'm not trusting God. Has anybody ever told you that? Well, you just got to trust God more. Ugh. How? I mean... (laughs) Let's think about how Job reacted to his losses. And I mean, he lost everything down to the very last female donkey. Everything was gone. Yeah. (laughs) In Job 3, he says, let the day of my birth be erased. In Job 6, I wish God would crush me. I have no chance of getting out of this. That's what he says. Have you ever felt that way? I have no chance of getting out of this. Have you ever let yourself say it though? Please note, Job never cursed God. He never cursed God, but he also never hid behind his faith and pretended like everything was okay. He paid attention. And I really love a point that's made in the book. Um, If I'm feeling angry, which I don't often feel angry, but if I'm feeling angry and I give myself to that anger and become angry and act out in anger, that is a sin. 
okay? But if I'm feeling angry and I give myself over to processing that anger with God, it becomes another opportunity to be a disciple of Jesus. Or as P. Ray would say, a student of Jesus. When we don't process before the Lord these things that we should be paying attention to in our own hearts, uh, these feelings that accompany loss and anger, um, we start leaking. How many of you have ever met a leaking person? These are things that are coming out uh, not have, that have not been refined by the Lord, but they're raw and toxic and able to wreck your life. Guys, I'm gonna go long today. Sorry. Anyway, pay attention to how you're feeling and ask the Lord to break off traditions that maybe you have been brought up in that have told you uh, that if something bad happens, you have to be okay with it. Number two, waiting in the confusing in between, not just waiting in the in between, the confusing in between. I don't like to wait, I don't like to be uncertain. It is confusing. Job waited through uncertain times with three friends who were not a huge help, like at all. These friends gave him answers to his problems that we still receive today. Well, you don't pray enough. That's why you're not healed. You must have sinned big time because look what happened to you. Not that anybody would like say this to your face. I hope not. Oh my gosh. But it wasn't true. So not only was Job confused by like his sudden afflictions and loss of everything, but his best friends are in the mix, muddying the waters even more and like speaking untruths about God to him. That's confusion. The confusing in between resists all earthly categories. It resists quick solutions. It is literally walking from the grave to the garden. And it brings us face to face with how limited and finite we really are. Number three, climb the ladder of humility. I think this could be a separate message all on its own, but here's what I want us to gain from this. Just as we are experiencing grief and loss and learning how to enlarge our souls through this and accepting our limits, so is everybody else sitting around you right now. It's like a fun little science science experiment, right? This is how we relate to others, how we receive God's use of others in our community when we are going through hard times. Notice in the book of Job, after God has finished speaking to Job, like the very, very end, he turns on Job's friends Uh, and says, and you guys did no favors, but instead of just striking them down, he had Job come and pray for them to be restored to the Lord. I think that took a, a large amount of humility on Job's part. And the last is letting the old birth the new. Uh, can you go ahead and pull up John 12, 24? We're almost done. 
I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Band, you can come back up. Go ahead and just get ready. Resurrection is central to life with Christ. Like it's why we're here, right? Because Jesus did not stay dead. But what we have to come to terms with is that it did at first require a death. The good news for us this morning is that resurrection doesn't end with death. That seed turns into something new and living. And our losses and grief may feel like over time, several small deaths until we reach like, you know, the big one at the end. But when we learn to grieve God's way, these things do not end in death. They are seeds that turn into something new and living, and we are transformed in the process. And the difference is that we come out the other side looking more like Jesus. Yeah. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.